This is All the Cool Parts number 31 for Thursday, March 21st, 2013. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to All the Cool Parts Podcast. It's been a while. I've been away and uh, just coming back to uh, producing some new episodes. And I'm going to uh, do something a little bit new today. Uh, We're going to have an artist spotlight, our very first one, featuring classical guitarist Jason Vio. So I have to start off by, before I get into talking about who Jason is, I have to sort of apologize to him. We did this interview actually last year, and after we did the interview, like, I mean, right after, like within days after we had done the interview, my computer and my whole setup that I used to do the podcast basically blew up, and... uh the drive that, you know, housed the podcast and everything was completely fried. Um, everything on the disc was unrecoverable. And I'm really, really lucky that I actually ended up saving this interview because the original files uh, from the interview were destroyed on that hard drive. The only reason that I still have this interview is that right after the interview was over, I just bounced a really uh, unedited, you know, version uh, to an MP3 file and sent it off to a friend uh, of mine who collaborates on the podcast frequently. Um, Just, you know, to say, here's the interview that I did, you know, check it out. And uh, the only reason I have the interview still is that that MP3 file was in the sent email that I sent my friend. Uh, So I'm really lucky that I still have the interview. Unfortunately, because the original file was lost, I wasn't able to do some of the editing that I usually do, like uh, boost Jason's, you know, level. So his level's a little quiet. uh, And I apologize about that to the listeners. But, you know, it's a it was a great and fun interview to do with Jason. I found out some interesting uh, things about him and which we'll uh, you know talk about you'll hear about in the interview um, and uh, yeah one of it which is uh, our birthdays but you'll hear about that in the interview um, and so what I'm going to do with this is uh, I just sort of you know talked with Jason we had a conversation 
And what I'm going to do is kind of let the conversation serve as an introduction to Jason and also as a storyline to his music that he's recorded over over the years. Um, he's already recorded uh, many, many CDs. And originally, I was going to have this uh, episode focus on his Naxo CD, his Laureate series CD, which we've done several of those episodes. And uh, he also has a Laureate CD on Naxos called Guitar Recital uh, by Jason Vio. And during the interview, I often refer to the CD, right, um, the CD. And when I say that, I'm referring to the Naxos CD, the Guitar Recital. But what I'm going to do is play, sort of interject excerpts as the interview is going on from that album and several other albums, including his album of music by Pat Metheny called Images of Metheny, uh, his album of uh, music by Spanish composer Isaac Albanes, uh Sevilla, and his Astro Piazzolla CD, which is his uh, most recent CD. And I'm going to uh, be interjecting excerpts of music um, from all of those CDs throughout. And then after the interview's over, I'll go through and uh, say exactly what those excerpts were. So Jason Vio, the guitarist, um, he's one of the most accomplished classical guitarists of uh, his generation and one of the busiest and really most successful uh, sort of concertizing classical guitarists out there right now. Um, his bio describes him as the classical guitarist that goes beyond the classical, and I totally agree with that. He's done many CDs, uh, which you would expect a classical guitarist to do, of the aforementioned uh, you know, music of Albanus and uh, music of Fernando Sor and Ponce and Bach, these kind of things. And he's also done CDs like the uh, Images of Pat Metheny uh, CD uh, that ventures into the world of jazz and the Piazzolla CD, which ventures into the world of uh, tango and um, and other things. Uh, so, you know, he's really broadening the horizons of the classical guitar. And uh, he's also one of the most sought after teachers uh, of classical guitar. Um, in 2011, he founded the uh, guitar program at the Curtis Institute of Music with uh, guitarist David Starobin, and he continues to head the department at the Cleveland Institute uh, in guitar. You can go to his website and learn more about him at jasonvo.com. That's jasonvieaux.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at uh, Twitter slash Jason VO, just one word. And so without further ado, here is my very entertaining conversation with uh, classical guitarist Jason VO. Okay, I'd like to welcome Jason VO to the show. Welcome to All the Cool Parts, Jason. What's up? Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to be talking with you and, uh, and talking uh, to your listeners great to be here thank you yeah thanks for coming on the show thank you for taking the time and uh i really appreciate it um i've been a fan of yours since this cd came out in 96 um that's when i first started uh that's when i first started as a classical guitar student and uh this was one of the first classical guitar cds that i had <laughs> ever wow yeah 
Um, and, uh, you know, we're talking about a CD that, like I said, did come out in 96 and really started its journey, I guess, in 92, right? That's correct, actually, yeah, because um, the Merlene uh, Suite Del Recuerdo, which has been a piece that I, uh, I play for every uh, first time uh, that I've, uh, I'm uh, playing for a presenter, I often program that piece um and it's it's uh, it's been a uh, a piece of music that's been very good to me actually through through the years uh, through my professional career and um i was fortunate to come across it on the on my gfa tour the guitar foundation of america which is a, comp, a competition it's a pretty important competition in guitar uh, classical guitar and uh uh, the first prize, of course, is a very extensive tour of the United States, and, and I went to f- France as well on that tour. And uh, in my Tampa stop, I got to know Richard Long a little bit better, and Richard Long's a really uh, uh, important figure because he's been editor of Soundboard for uh, many years and and uh, and the pub- publisher of a lot of great music and just a, a great guy. And uh, he handed me this, this score of Sweet Del Recuerdo, um, and... I think he had, hadn't even really published it yet. He was about to. He had a rough, like a rough uh, printout of it, and so I was the. I wasn't obviously the first to play it. Jose himself, Jose Luis Merlin, was playing it, but I might have made the first uh, commercial uh, distributed recording of it on on Naxos on that Naxos CD from '96. And of course, I've been you know playing it ever since then, and I never get I never get tired of playing it. It's just always a blast. Side note: I'm meeting a lot of um, on my travels now on uh, guitar festivals and and just anywhere I'm going, I'm meeting a lot of uh, a lot of guitar uh, guitarists uh, like yourself that uh, have, are telling me about this CD and and uh, that it was uh, one of their first CDs. And that's <laughs> a new thing for me, actually. It's uh, it it, uh, it really is something of a of a milestone, I think, um, that I've been performing that long uh, for 20 years that that something like this can happen. Like an entire, uh, you know, entire generation <laughs> is uh, is mentioning the CD to me. So it's it's wonderful. It's really a really special time. It, yeah, I mean, it, it's a real testament, <laughs> I think, to the CD. And I have to say, man, this CD it kind of ages like fine wine. Um, you, you know, when I, I first got it in 96, 
And uh, I loved it back then. And then, you know, there was a period maybe from, I don't know, starting in 2000 or something where I didn't hear this CD maybe for uh, uh, many years. And because, you know, it's just one of those first CDs that I got. And uh, it's sort of, you know, I got other CDs and other CDs. And uh, then when I came back to it, uh, I think I'm enjoying it even more this time. That's great. Um, it's great. Y- yeah, it's uh, it's really holds up uh, very well. And I didn't know that about uh, you actually got this Jose Luis Merlin piece before it was published. That's that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, because, you know, uh, in 96, 97, 98, uh, you know, when I was an undergraduate studying guitar, um, there were several people in our studio that were playing this piece. Oh, wow. That's and, amazing. Now that I didn't, I wouldn't have realized. Yeah. yeah so, so, you know, at the time, uh, my memories of this piece, you know, just starting in, out in classical guitar, hearing these people play this piece, I'm just thinking, okay, this is a standard rep piece. Wow, that's really amazing. You know, I can't. It's funny. I mean, I can't get a. I can't get a, a gander really on when I'm playing at a guitar festival if people, if guitarists want to hear it or not. I mean, because my colleagues, a lot of my colleagues that have heard me, you know, twenty plus times over the years, they don't want to hear it again. <laughs> they always, they're always looking forward to something new. You know, like you know whatever new uh, piece I'm playing like this season, like the the new Dan Visconti. Uh, uh, piece that I'm playing, or, or you know, I've I'm I'm been playing the Britain Nocturnal for the first time in my career last uh, starting last season, and, and we'll be playing it a lot this season. You know, they look forward to things like that, but uh, so it's hard to get a, a a handle on that. But I think it's I think it has more appreciation from your generation than say from mine, which is you know there there's some a lot of my colleagues are tired of hearing it, but um, but really I mean for for audiences, why you know, of course, most of my concerts are just kind of out in the, I guess what you would call, what some people would call mainstream classical music in America, and I mean that just is a killer uh, piece on a solo recital on a performing arts series or or a college series, yeah. or something that's not not a guitar series. I mean, it just hits a home run every time with the with the listeners. Right. So. Right. Thank you. 
Well, you mentioned, you know, that you think it's maybe, uh, you know, appreciated by my generation, not yours. But really, um, I mean, I, I started my classical music journey uh, late. And actually, when I just discovered this actually this morning, and it, it kind of weirded me out, actually. But I, I was looking uh, for information on you on the Internet, went to your website uh, and other websites, and I went to Wikipedia, and I discovered that we were born on the same day of the same year. Really? Yeah. <laughs> your your birthday is, wait, July 17, 1973? 1973. You're kidding. No. Wow. So we're both approaching... Uh, yeah. Uh, the, Dude, don't the, say uh, it. <laughs> I won't say it. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, so... Um, yeah, so you know, you can you can think that, you know, people of your generation appreciate this piece. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um I wanted to ask you a little bit about your uh background because uh you know, someone like yourself, you know, has all has always fascinated me, especially when I got into uh classical music cuz like I mentioned, you know, I got into it late and you know, coming from a, a rock background and right. um uh you know, you got into this very early and really achieved such a high level of a musicianship at such an early age. And that's always fascinated me. Um, I wanted to ask you a few things about your background. Sure. Um, and one one question that I've been asking people, and I'm actually putting together a show on this, um, maybe the, the show after this one, is uh, asking people their classical music story. And I don't know if you have a specific story, but many people, myself included, and I got thinking about this when I was telling my own story to somebody, of, you know, what brought you to classical music? Was it a, a specific piece of music that you heard and you just blew you away? Or, or how did you get on this path to classical music? Well, sure, I, 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 can, give you, I can tell you that story. And um, I was I, uh, born into a pretty blue-collar family. In Buffalo, New York, and uh, you know my my father was a, a service technician, and my mom was a secretary, and nobody really in our family had ever been exposed to any kind of classical arts uh, on a regular basis. It probably would have just been kind of the whatever the outreach was available at the time. My you know my, my extended family was did not listen to classical music. Um, and my parents' record collection, for that matter, uh, my mom's my mom's records were all soul records, and uh, Beatles, you know, some rock and roll like CCR and Beatles, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. But a lot of soul records, things that you could dance to. El, you know, Elvis. There's some rock and roll in there, early rock and roll, but a lot of it was like Stax and Motown. And my father's record collection was entirely modern jazz and some pretty quirky stuff too. So, you know, like Pete. Rugolo's orchestra and Chico Hamilton and Ahmad Jamal, like, <laughs> uh -huh. not like you know, not like the top, you know, name stuff. <laughs> Thank you. 
these records all day, especially my mom's records. Um, and so my mother bought me a guitar when I was five years old, but they both of them had this awareness. They both loved music, especially my dad. And they both had this awareness that there was a kind of guitar that was pretty refined, that it was something vaguely Spanish and that you had to read music and be a proper musician in order to play it. college when I was about six or something like that maybe and uh, six or seven and I studied there with a jazz guitarist uh, named Joe Joel Perry and he's still in New York City now playing all the time and and uh, he basically taught me how to read music and solfege using the guitar as the medium through which to study so it wasn't that I was necessarily learning to play guitars, that I was using the guitar as a tool to learn how to, to read and write solfege and, and, and sing and solfege and all that, and to count and all those kind of basics. Then when the Buffalo Guitar Quartet came to my school, my mother was working there as a secretary at the time, and uh, so she approached Jeremy Sparks, one of the, the, well, the original, one of the founding members and, one of the, and probably their primary arranger at the time, and uh, asked if, if naively, if they'd come to the house and give private lessons, which I don't think they <laughs> did that. Thing. Um, but he did come to that. He did come to uh, my parents' house, and I was there, and I was already kind of playing. I was already playing a lot of things by ear and goofing around, and, and you know. But I was pretty much aimless at seven, and so but yeah. he gave me. Um, he said he would take me on as a student, so I started that summer with him and the thing about my experience that I think is becoming more is of course more common now with Suzuki and students starting really you know young and and other programs like that is I I learned to speak the language of classical uh, music and its various styles through the guitar rather than learning to play the guitar and then coming to it then sort of coming around to it through a particular piece. Mm. Like I, I studied classical guitar technique before I knew any pieces. 
like I learned alternation, you know, d- d- basic arpeggiation, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. All, all those kind of things right from the start before I ever did any kind of actual playing. And so the, the, through the studies, like source studies and, and things like that and just various exercises, that's kind of how, you know, my, Jeremy is a, is a great musician. I mean, as evidenced by his well-known arrangements that are on Doberman for guitar quartet and other things. And, I mean, he, I was very fortunate to have a great teacher like that, somebody that really spoke the language, you know, so that yeah. you kind of learn how by osmosis. And we used to play all these duos together. You know, we would read all, we would, you know, he'd assign the, the, the duos from the Renaissance node anthology and 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 other things too so i was constantly playing with him and that's a huge thing that i've learned as a teacher it's one of the the best things that you can do for a young student is to be playing duos with them so that they they develop that antenna that uh, that chamber music antenna early on it's very just really important that's another big part of i think the musicianship puzzle Absolutely. I mean, so many guitar players are, uh, you know, we're so used to sitting in a practice room uh, by ourselves for so many hours. Then that, yeah, that ensemble aspect really uh, gets missed on a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's starting. To, it's becoming more common now. I'm definitely noticing that. That it's more of a. It's not such a strange thing anymore. Um, and uh, just because the training is, is, is so much more thorough now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, that's that's uh, really interesting. This uh, this CD was, this CD we're talking about, the um, uh, Naxos Laureate Series CD. This was your second CD, right? It was, actually. It wasn't my first CD. That's right. Um, I uh, played... A uh, or I I made a CD in '93, and that and that's actually like the first 
you know, working relationship that I had with my current producer, Alan Bice. We were, uh, we were classmates at Cleveland Institute of Music, and when I won the GFA competition my junior year uh, of my bachelor's degree, he approached me, he and another uh, a friend of mine who was actually a guitarist, a fellow guitarist in my studio studying with John Holmquist at Cleveland Institute of Music, and, that, and his name is Jim Bonney, and he still does production work, uh, you know, uh, for a living. And they approached me about making a CD to sell on my tour, which back then was a crazy kind of, I mean, <laughs> it was kind of a crazy idea for me. I mean, to me it was anyway. I, I don't know. But there wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of 19-year-olds that had their, their yeah. CD out. You know, I mean, it was, now it's like, I mean, now you see it all the time. I mean, as soon as, as soon as anybody can call you know, 40 to 60 mu- minutes of music together. They, you know, they're they're in the studio making a CD, or they're in their bedroom, or what, or whatnot. But right, right. That was a big. That was kind of a, a wild idea to me. And I thought, well, yeah, that's great. And, and they, you know, they told me how much it would cost, and set up a thing that summer. And I, I managed to pool some money from family members and a don and a, and a particular donor uh, who's uh, from Rochester. Uh, and they, he was made executive producer of the CD and whatnot. So we did that. We did the whole thing, and I sold that on the tour. And that actually helped to pay for uh, a balance, a remaining balance at CIM for the remainder of my junior year. <laughs> oh, wow. And the, and the GFA uh, fees, that the small fees that I had earned on that tour, I, it, it turned out it was a pretty lucky thing. I wouldn't have been able to go back to school. I wouldn't have been able to finish my my degree. I had no, you know, the the, the tuition was getting more expensive every yeah. year. So that was a really great idea, and that started the. That was my first uh, project with with Alan Bice, and then of course I made a couple of CDs for uh, Naxos after that, and then I uh, started recording for Azika in I think the late '90s. Right, and you're still recording with them. Yes, that's yeah. right. So, can we talk a little bit about your GFA experience? So, you know, you go into this huge uh, international guitar competition uh, at 19 years old, or you might have been 18 at the time. I'm not sure. I was 19. Yeah. Okay. And um, obviously, you know, you're there. You're basically like just above the point of, you know, having to. to uh, uh, compete in the junior competition right so i mean you're just old enough to not have to do that and um you're... well there was no youth competition back then oh there was no okay i didn't realize oh, that Oh no that's a fair see to, to uh someone like me that's a fairly recent kind of thing they, okay. they didn't have that for several years even after i i uh that that year in 92 that was a, a much more recent thing i don't i don't even know when they started but i wasn't until the 2000s okay okay and um, you're there with, you know, many older, more experienced players. I mean, what what was your experience like, you know, at that competition? My, you know, my experience, I had started to, I had, here's the thing. I tried to enter the GFA. I tried to get accepted through the, before before that year, uh, they, they did tape rounds. And I, at 14, 15, and 16, I had tried to get past, the tape round um but i think my sound wasn't really fully developed it was it was i didn't have a lot a great deal of control over my tone and that's what that's what the, the probably the biggest thing that john holmquist 
helped me with at CIM, among other things, but that was really first and foremost the priority was to get control of my sound and my right and my right hand uh, uh, tone production. So, uh, so I had not made it <laughs> to GFA three times prior. So when, uh, um, and I hadn't planned to even try the GFA until after I had graduated from CIM. But uh, here's this is what really happened. My my uh, mother was like, oh, I you know. I see that the, you know, because they get the soundboard magazine and say, oh, I see the GFAs in New Orleans. I'd love to go to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> so she wanted to, like, set it up, make it like a vacation, <laughs> you know, and, and, like, the three of us would go down, and I'd just give it a shot. I'd give it a shot to see if I could. <laughs> right. Well, I wasn't going to go to just give it a shot. I, I just don't really, I don't really do things. I never really did things that way. I, and so I entered a, a competition in Ohio the summer before and I made the semifinals to that. So I knew my playing was getting stronger because, you know, my study with John was, you know, was going really well and I was practicing a lot. And so then I, then the rest of that summer, I basically prepared for GFA and I began to, I, I was very, very focused for it. And, and um, I think I chose a good program. I had some modern stuff, some 19th century Italian romantic, uh, some, you know, Rigondi, a little bit of, uh, oh, what, what else was in there? It's hard to remember now. Some Baroque music. The set piece, of course, was the Ian Krauss variations on Moldavian Horror. You know, so it was a cool, like, it ended up becoming a pretty eclectic program, and I was playing at my highest level going into it. And so I didn't really, I wasn't, I can say that I really didn't know what was going on around me. I wasn't focused on it, and I think probably being being there sort of on vacation, you know, with my parents was was kind of like this nice bubble, actually, this sort of accidental bubble. Uh, that I wasn't really interacting at that time with any, I didn't know anybody. I mean, nobody, certainly nobody knew who I was, and I didn't know anybody there. So um, so it just, 
I, I was able to focus somehow really well, and uh, and my goal really was just to make it into the semifinal round. I would I can honestly say I would have been very disappointed if I hadn't. It would have been a disappointment for me. But once I made it into the semifinal round, I felt a little bit of pressure was kind of off of me that I had sort of put on myself internally. And then when I made the finals, that kind of surprised me, actually. I mean, I knew I was playing well, but like I said, I didn't have an awareness of how other people were playing. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have a good sense of where my playing was at in relation to others. So when I made the final round, I, I felt very, uh, you know, like I felt like the pressure was really kind of off of me, you know, and I went in just, I, I felt like the final round would be an easier thing to deal with because then I could just perform, which I was very used to by that point. I had already done you know, seven years of regular performance in front of audiences. So I felt like the final round was was an advantage for me because, I, you know, I thought, well, this is great. Now I can just go there and play for like 20, well, for 30 minutes. I, get, I can play like the whole concert half and just do, you know, kind of do my thing, as we would say, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I played very well. I played, you know, probably as best as I could have played during that. When you went through this GFA experience and, and uh, uh, you ended up winning. I mean, uh, how did you feel, and, and what was sort of the reaction around you? I mean, it felt great. Like I said, it was. I wasn't expecting. I wasn't intending to go there to not win on one level, but at the, but at the same time, it was you know it was great to win because I knew I had you know as. While I didn't have a, a really full awareness of what the playing was like around me, um, you know, I just knew that these players were going to be really fantastic. And I remember hearing some of the semifinals and, and knowing that, you know, there's some really great uh, talent there. And uh, so the, it was obviously a great feeling to win, and it, it felt... Um, Probably like the first time that it felt like I was, I really was doing the right thing by committing myself to the classical guitar because then that recognition from a pan, from a panel of judges at you know one of the biggest competitions, yeah, um, probably the biggest competition on this side of the Atlantic mm -hmm. certainly, um, kind of like our Van Cliburn I guess is what I always tell yeah yeah uh, uh, the, the the media. Uh, but it's, you know, that kind of thing is, it, it just gave it, it's like, oh, okay, you know what, I'm not doing, I'm doing, I'm probably doing the right thing. I'm probably doing the best thing that I could, you know, do as far as a professional aspiration, you know? Yeah. So it was great. Um, so and, uh, and everybody was very supportive of it. I mean, you know, the, um, the, the judging panel and whatnot and the other, I think the other competitors for the most part is, I mean, we're, well, I mean, I'm really good friends with, <laughs> with uh, two of those finalists. I mean, they're like the three musketeers at, these, at some of these guitar festivals. Uh, Jeff uh, McFadden was second prize and Andrew Zone third prize. And uh, I mean, that's a, it's a, that's a pretty killer final actually. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. and John Goulart was, uh, was another tremendous, player and he was the favorite going into the finals uh he was the fourth place and, and another just tremendous player i mean the, the that was a really a very strong final that year if <laughs> i do say so myself <laughs> yeah. 
No, no. I mean, so, yeah. no, I mean, we we've, we've talked about it. You know, we we get asked about that actually a lot about uh, at festivals. You know, the three of us when we're when we're around hanging around together, because um, it's kind of unusual that uh, you know three uh, finalists in that are, are are good friends like that are pretty <laughs> tight. So it's 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 been great. You know, I mean, it all turned out really wonderful. So absolutely. Um, well, we only have a couple minutes left, so I wanted to at least um, talk about what you're doing now, uh, talk about your new Piazzolla CD, uh, and you know anything else you want to talk about, the Virtual Classical Guitar School Online, anything that you want to talk about that you're doing right now. Yeah, it's um, well, yeah, we can we can we can use a few minutes. I think I sent an email to my uh, uh, to my next thing to give me about ten more, so I think it uh, I can hold off my next call for a few more minutes. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about uh, the Piazzolla CD. And because, the, you know, th- this one is very special because it's a very special uh, musician that, uh, you know, I'm sort of co-soloist with on a Julian Lebrow, this, like, knockout accordion, jazz accordion player. And, uh, and also, uh, of course, on this CD, he's playing Bandoneon the whole time. Uh, but we, uh, I heard this guy with, uh, his, with a group that he plays with hot club of Detroit. And then I heard him, you know, later on, of course I would hear him a lot with Frank Vignola on records and, and, you know, and performance. And, but when I heard him with hot club of Detroit in Cleveland, I, I just thought, wow. I mean, my producer and I both went to that. We were just completely knocked out. And so we were just hanging out with them after, and I asked him, I, you know, I'd, I had been, I had been meaning to try to find some way to, to play or, pro, you know, the, the Piazzolla double concerto. So I asked him if he played Bandoneon and he said, yeah, I've played it a few times. And he said, I don't really have a Bandoneon, but, but, uh, you know, he said I could always get one. And I said, you know, so we kind of just started from there, just, just, uh, just talking about it. And then I was able to set up a concert in Cleveland, like a local thing where we were able to perform it and he arranged it for string quartet because we couldn't get their orchestra together. Obviously. Mm-hmm. So yeah. He arranged it for, he's a great arranger, just like a, a really brilliant and, and he can work fast and he's just a total pro. Thank you. 
did that, and then we used that as a kind of a demo uh, to give to my management, and we started a, a duo. One of my many collaborations is, is a duo with Julian. We have our first uh, two professional like concerts on big series this year, which we're really excited about. It's, all, it's, gonna, it's just going to be an absolute knockout program, and the history of the tango is going to be one of them. That's on the CD. concerto and then he did an arrangement for uh you know guitar bandoneon and, and string orchestra of uh the four seasons of course because uh, the the, the uh, piazzola four seasons of right, right. because we needed a chamber orchestra for the double concerto so and that's where uh alan vice comes in my producer at Azika. he was able to actually put all that together all of our schedules and find this incredible uh, chamber orchestra called a far cry from Boston. I mean, they're doing, they're doing really big things and they're just amazing.
And so that's the three entities on the CD. So it's kind of like a first concerto CD for me. But uh, and I'm, and we're working on doing more things, you know, like that, just other con- other concertos. But um, so that's a very special uh, CD, and I'm, I'm really pleased with how it all turned out. And um, then the other new thing, well, there's a couple of new things. I mean, my my career is kind of uh, it was already kind of, it was already going pretty fast and I of course you know the, the Curtis Institute the, I co-founded the guitar department with David Starabin uh-huh. last year this time and so we we have we've had a full a whole uh, uh, two semesters there and we're about to start our our uh, the, the new school year uh, coming up in a couple weeks and this time last year when we were starting that and we and we were ready to go with Curtis, I got contacted by uh, this company, Artist Works, in Napa, California, which has started seven years ago. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, there's, there's, of course, been a lot of, since YouTube and that kind of thing, there's been a lot of things like, uh, and Skype, you know, online teaching, where you can teach online in real time on Skype, or you can kind of put a video lesson out and put it on YouTube. Well, this is quite a bit more more than that. It's a pretty cutting edge technology. It's a it's a, an amazing interface that allows any student of any level around the world to study with to actually take lessons with me to study with me by sending a video that I respond to, and um, so it's all and I you know last spring before the launch of this in June I. I recorded an entire curriculum that starts the first lesson is holding the guitar. <laughs> and, and it goes all the way from that all the way to, you know, Grand Overture or, or you know, a Sevilla. idea is that over time I'll add you know there's about 140 videos in that initial curriculum but that'll expand to 500 as I go to Napa and record and fill out that curriculum and then any student that subscribes can can watch any student submission and any of my video responses to it and then there's like this whole kind of Facebook community online between all the students we already have over we already have a hundred students and we've only been open <laughs> wow. for two two months. It's just incredible. I, I taught my first, uh, uh, I think I, I, I told this uh, fellow from Reykjavik, Iceland. I said, I think you're my first Icelandic student. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So it's uh, it's pretty crazy, and it's an, an amazing thing. And, and I'm really I'm so very happy to have been and honored to have been asked to be a part of this cutting edge technology. I mean, this is the guy, the guy that started this company, David Butler, is the fellow that that uh, that wrote the uh, the interface for America Online back in the late '80s and early '90s. Oh wow! So he's uh, he's the real deal. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. Thing. So that's uh, that's jasonboschool.com or jasonboguitar.com. I mean, people can check that out by going there. And then, of course, we got a couple new. We got boy, we got three or four records that we have in the works. Um, uh, right now, I'm trying to finish the next solo record. So it, uh, and we've got about a 60 concert season <laughs> coming up this year. <laughs> this, seventh one in a row so it's a it's a it's a pretty amazing time for me yeah yeah wow super busy uh well, i've got one uh last question or thing we can talk about uh you know you were talking about your your new cd your piazzola cd and um you know one thing i noticed uh and i wanted to ask you about is your uh, uh just how you choose your repertoire because what i noticed uh, when i was looking at the naxo cd and then looking at your first CD and the Piazzolla CD and many other CDs that you've done, uh, uh, but the Naxos CD in particular, and I was looking for a sort of, uh, you know, commonality between the pieces. And most of them are Latin American. There's that one piece, you know, of Ian Krauss, you know, that uh, sure that is a sort of first glance. I'm like, well, that doesn't seem to fit. But when you hear these pieces and you listen to them, um, these pieces are so every single one are so uh e- evocative you know it's almost right. like each one has its own story to tell that's right you know and it, i mean are you uh and i would say that's true of your first cd of the piazzola cd and of other cds i mean are these sort of music that you're you're drawn to these sort of evocative pieces Oh sure, I mean I think every I don't know, I think music inherently, you know, I keep referring it to as a as a language. You know, music is the language, and then the piece in music, a well crafted piece in music, is like a great is like a great novel or a great movie. It has an inherent narrative arc to it, and I've always been drawn to to pieces that have a narrative arc. I mean, I I like playing really out there stuff too. I mean, I play, I play things that don't appear to have any narrative arc and, and are completely random sounding or, or, or deliberately, deliberately lack structure, you know, from the composer's end, you know, they they willfully, you know, move away from, from a form and a structure, a discernible one. So, I mean, I play a lot of music like that too, but I think generally my, the bread and butter of what I want to record and play in concert is something that has that kind of arc to it that does, you know, tell the story. And, uh, so yeah, that's, I think why I never worried too much. I, I've never wor- worried about people who used to tell me like, well, you know, you're really strong at this and, you know, at this type of music, you know, when I play something from the 19th century and, and then I play something Spanish at another concert and says, Oh, you're really good at you're really good with this kind of repertoire. You should really go with that. You know, you should really make a niche out of it. People a lot of people always tell me to kind of form a niche because of yeah. how competitive it is to set yourself apart. And, you know, and then I play box somewhere else and wow, you really you can really play box well, you know, and and you know, you should uh, you know, that may be something you could focus on and 
And I just never really felt like I want or I had to do that or wanted to do that. And I, I wanted to, I've always wanted to play a lot of different kind of things in a concert and maybe tie them into each other through other ways, you know, so that they may not have, they may not have stylistically go together, but they just somehow feel right together. And, uh, and, and I think that's the main thing is that if, if the, if the pieces have that narrative arc, um, you can do a lot of things with programming, I think. Then. Definitely. I mean, I think you've you've definitely made the right choice there, and you're able to really bring these stories to life through your playing uh, in a, a beautiful way every time. So, um, yeah, I really want to thank you again for coming on the podcast, Jason. It was really my pleasure to be able to talk with you. And, uh, yeah, we wish you the best of luck with everything in the future. Great. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. And thanks again to Jason for that awesome interview. It was a lot of fun. I'm going to go through just the the excerpts that I played during the interview. The first one was from his uh, Naxos guitar recital CD uh, from Sweet Del Recuerdo from the first movement, Evocation. The second was from the same piece from the third movement, Chacarera. The third was from the fourth movement, Carnavalito. Uh, The fourth was from Images of Matheny, his album. It was the track James Gig. Then we heard from his album Sevilla, his uh, Asturias. Then uh, from the Piazzolla album, Histoire du Tango, his Cafe 1930. Then from the uh, Naxo CD again, the guitar recital CD, uh, Variations on a Moldavian Aura. Then three tracks from his Piazzolla CD, from the concerto, the double concerto, the third movement, uh, tango. Then uh, from the Histoire du Tango, uh, the Bordel 1900. Then after that, from the Four Estaciones Porteño, uh, number two, Otoño Porteño. And then the last piece that we heard during the interview was from his album Sevilla, the title track Sevilla. Um, if you'd like to send us an email, please do send us an email at allthecoolparts at gmail.com. You can go to our website at allthecoolparts.blogspot.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Anthony Landman. And uh, you can join us on Facebook, on our Facebook page. And uh, if you get a chance, please, if you enjoy the podcast, go on to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review and we'll read that review on the air and it will you know help us in our visibility and uh, getting more listeners and if you like the show hey tell a friend and uh, you can subscribe to the show for free on iTunes and other uh you know podcast vehicles <laughs> um so until next time um uh, which hopefully will be sooner rather than later um We're going to go out listening to Jason once again, uh, play his guitar from his Matheny album, uh, which is called Images of Matheny, the uh, first track, Every Day I Thank You. See you next time. (laughs) 